Oh man, I'm just excited. Uh, what a great, great worship set. I'm not even going to teach. Let's just continue. <laughs> Let's just go for it. Uh, but I'm just excited tonight because we're going to talk about, we're going to continue on our, our change series, our Anchor 6 series, uh, which is all about change. Each talk on change. Tonight is change equals grace. So welcome back to our discipleship. Don't miss that. It's a discipleship series on how to experience change and transformation. Here's Anchor 6. It's up on the screen. Allow God to make the transformation changes he wants to make and stop trying to make them on my own. You've tried to make them on your own. You can't make them on your own. But God wants to make them, and God has particular changes that he wants to make in your life if we just allow him to make those changes. Transformation is a big word. A lot of people say, what is transformation? It's just another word for discipleship. That's all transformation is. And disciples are constantly, constantly being changed. That's the whole essence of Christianity, is to allow God to give you a better way of thinking which leads to a better way of acting. Eventually, the feelings follow. The world tells you to do the opposite. Start with how you feel. How you feeling? How you feeling? How you feeling? Don't work that way. Battlefield's always in the mind, right? Everything starts right in the doorpost of your mind. How you think will always lead to how you act. So we're constantly learning. Last week, we learned that change equals discipleship, right? If you want to experience the changes that God wants to make in your life, his changes, great changes, healing changes, being set free with all the chains broken off, having unspeakable joy in your life, you've got to embrace the discipleship pathway that only God has for you. He has a specific pathway. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. I know you got plans, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. It's all about discipleship. That plan that God has for you is always going down this discipleship track. I told you about this book that I'm reading from Tony Evans about kingdom disciples. Well, let me just read you an excerpt from the first chapter of that book. Tony, Tony Evans writes this. He says, one of the greatest tragedies in the 20th century was the sinking of the Titanic in the chilly North Atlantic Ocean on April 15, 1912. Over 1,500 people died in the frigid waters of the Atlantic during the maiden voyage of this elegant ship that was believed to be unsinkable, just like we walk around. I'm invincible. The cause of the catastrophe is commonly understood to be the ship's hull being ripped open by a largely submerged iceberg. But the tragedy occurred primarily because of a lesser-known yet more strategic reason. David Blair was the second-in-command, scheduled to make the journey from Southampton, England, to America. However, on the day before the scheduled departure, Mr. Blair was reassigned. Mr. Blair had in his pocket the key to the crow's nest locker, which contained the high-powered binoculars that were used by the crew member who watched from the elevated crow's nest for any potential dangers. Because Mr. Blair inadvertently kept the key with him, the binoculars were unavailable at the moment they were needed the most. Thus the iceberg was not visible in the distance as it would have been had the binoculars 
been available. This ultimately led to the deadly crash we know today as the sinking of the Titanic. If it wasn't for the missing key, the tragedy could have been averted. Similarly, a key is missing in Christianity today. It's a critical key. Its absence has resulted in weak, defeated believers, the disintegration of families, ineffective churches, and a decaying culture. Without the full use of this key, followers of Christ lack the tools needed to fully live as heaven's representatives on earth. What's the missing key? Well, you've guessed it. It's discipleship. It always has been, and it always will be discipleship. Kingdom disciples are in short supply. That a bevy of powerless Christians attend powerless churches, resulting in a powerless presence and impact the world. Until this key called discipleship is recovered and utilized, we will continue to fail in our calling to adequately live as heaven's representatives on earth. The power, the authority, the victory, the abundance, and impact promised in God's word to his own will be ours only when we understand and align ourselves with his definition of discipleship. Until then, we can anticipate that disappointments and losses will be the norm in spite of all the Christian activities we engage in. Discipleship is the missing key to a life of authority under God. But surrender to Christ's lordship and obedience to his rule of love are the grooves that make up that key, which when used rightly will unlock the power to bring heaven to bear on earth. A kingdom disciple can be defined as a believer in Christ who takes part in the spiritual developmental process of progressively learning to live all of life in submission to Jesus Christ. The goal of a kingdom disciple is to have a transformed life and to replicate, replicate God's kingdom, his kingdom values in the lives of others. Through his kingdom disciples, God exercises his rule from heaven to earth. What's in heaven can be done on earth. And I didn't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss the pathway. I don't want you to miss what I spoke about last week, how Peter ends his writings when he says, I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to talk more about that, which is why you need to know the truth about God's grace. Because when you hear and when you sing songs, like we sang tonight about God's grace, it should do something to you. It should overwhelm you with gratitude. You need to know about this stuff. You need to know about grace. You need to embrace it, rely on it, and freely give it away to others in every area of your life. A kingdom disciple understands the grace of God. A kingdom disciple will never cheapen or abuse the grace of God. A kingdom disciple is overwhelmingly captured by the grace of God. Whenever they hear the word grace, 
They fall to their knees in overwhelming gratitude. A kingdom disciple is beyond grateful for the grace of God. A kingdom disciple is utterly dependent upon the grace of God. A kingdom disciple understands that grace is so amazing that it opens up blind eyes, deaf ears, saves souls, breaks chains, and sets the captives free. That's what grace does. A kingdom disciple is supernaturally transformed by the grace of God. A kingdom disciple is saved and sustained by the grace of God. So what is grace? What does it mean to you? Why and how are you grateful for his grace? Is your life defined by grace? Are you trying to earn grace? And by the way, which camp are you in? Are you in the grace camp? Are you in the truth camp? Are you in both camps? Because you need to be. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. How well you know and experience the truth of grace will determine how successful you'll be in this life. Grace is the key to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is why another name for the gospel is the gospel of God's grace. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, full of grace, full of truth. Grace represents the character. It represents the love, but it also represents the justice of our Lord and Savior. I'm just going to make it real easy for you. A lot of times you say, okay, I get that. I understand what you're saying. But the easiest way to understand grace is to see yourself in your need before Christ and to see yourself changed as a result of Christ. That's how you can articulate what grace is to you. In other words, where were you before Christ and where were you headed? So if you're writing your testimony, you should all be taking notes now because you all need to write your testimony. Grace will tell you where you are in your need before Christ and where you were headed. But grace will also tell you who you are in Christ and now where you're headed because of grace. These are all things to help you write your story. How are you getting there? Who are you? Well, let me help you just a little bit. We talked about this. We had a nice encounter training on Sunday, how to share your story and how to, how to share it with others, how you share your faith with others. But here's, here's how grace defines you before Christ. You have to understand what your need is. Here's what your need is. The Bible says we were born into sin. You're just born into sin. A lot of people say, well, I'm, just not, I'm, just, I'm a pretty good person. Now you're not. You're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. The Bible says that no one's, there's no one righteous. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Even if you can't remember a single sin that you've ever committed in your life, the Bible says you were born into sin. Psalms 51. David reminds us of that. Thank you, Adam and Eve. We're guilty of breaking laws, according to Scripture. We're declared an enemy of God because of our sins. There was a separation between us and God. There was a written code against us and that stood opposed to us because of our sins. We were handed a death sentence because of our sins. We were declared unrighteous. We had no method to justify, Kentucky Derby winner, we had no method to justify ourselves. There's no way we could state a case when we knock on heaven's doors and say, can I come in? based on our own merits. 
Spiritually speaking, we were destitute and dead with an eternal life sentence of separation from the one who created and loved us. That's what our need was before Christ. That's where we were headed before Christ. But then, something changed. Jesus showed up. Grace showed up. Truth showed up. And Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Thank God. How many people are grateful that Jesus showed up full of grace, full of truth? Where would you be without God's grace? Come on now. I get bunkers. I get, I get stupid thinking about God's grace. It's dope in a good way. Not the dope I used to take, but now dope in a really good way. Be quiet, Myra. But then Jesus came to break all the rules. He came to turn things upside down. He came to make a way when there was no way. He came to save us. And Jesus came to say, when it comes to heaven's doors, come on in. You don't deserve to be here, but you belong here. So come on in. Come on in. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I, now I sing. Titus 3, 3 through 7 says this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Any takers there? But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of, our, of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Man, I love God's word. Just like it says in Ephesians 2.8, you should have this one memorized. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one so that no one can boast. Why is this important? Why is this so important? I'll tell you why. Because we are doomed and duped before grace saves us through Jesus Christ. Doomed and duped. The biblical word. Stay with me. We're doomed because there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven and save ourselves. Although most people think, even to this day, that God's going to grade on the curve and change the rules when he sees you for some reason. If you don't accept Jesus Christ. Because God's a good God. He's a God of grace. He wouldn't send anybody, especially someone like me, to hell. And he wouldn't. You choose where you wind up. It's your choice. We're duped. Because we're still living the lies the devil planted in the garden of Adam and Eve that we can be just like God and we'll never die. We can be just like God and we'll never die. 
And we can just play God. We can run our lives without the help of a loving God who created us and loved us. We can say thanks, but no thanks. You see, for every person, just so you know this, for every person that has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, you wonder, why doesn't that person give their life to Christ? Why are they walking around without Jesus Christ in their heart? Why, why, why wouldn't someone accept it? Why wouldn't someone decide to go to heaven? Why wouldn't someone decide to be forgiven? Why wouldn't someone decide to be saved? Why wouldn't someone accept the free gift of eternal salvation through grace? It's the greatest news ever. It is to me. It is to you. But for every person that's not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, what they don't know is they're getting duped every day of their lives by the enemy of their soul. I'll show it to you. It's in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It's up on the screens. If you've got your Bibles with you, it says this. Satan, who is the God, notice it should be a little g, but it's all in big letters on the screen, but it's a little g in Scriptures. He's a little g. He's not a big g. He doesn't get a capital G. He's a little g. Can't compare it to big G. Satan's a little g. Satan, who is the God of this world, watch this now, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. You don't believe this? Believe this. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You're just being duped, which is why you have to pray Blind eyes to be open, deaf ears to hear, a heart to be tender, to receive the good news, the gospel of grace. That's how you pray for someone, to receive Christ. That's why Jesus said this, I am the way, I'm the pathway, but I'm also the truth. He said, I am truth. Not that, let me tell you something truthful. You know, he says, I'm truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a prayer principle. That's a salvation principle. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to go somewhere. Grace gets better. How can grace get better than that? Well, it does get better. See, grace gets better because, guess what? Grace doesn't stop at salvation. I love that. You know, for many followers or Christians or people who think they're following Jesus, they stop at salvation. They never go down this discipleship pathway. They never go, they never live beyond the salvation experience. But grace gets better because it never stops at salvation. It goes way beyond salvation because saving grace turns into sustaining and transforming and discipling grace until we get to the destination that only grace can get us to. That's how awesome grace is. Grace will transform your life. Change equals grace. Grace gives us strength. 2 Timothy 2, 1 says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace gives us access to God when we need him most. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Another translation says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we'll find mercy in our time 
of need. I love that. Have you been coming to the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence lately? You need to. You should. It says, let us come boldly. In other words, I'm coming right to the feet of Jesus when I'm in trouble. When I need grace, when I'm in trouble, in the day of trouble comes knocking on your door. The Bible says, call on me and I will answer. Knock on my door. Seek my face, not Facebook. Seek me. Call upon me. Approach me with confidence. Come boldly. No one else but you, Jesus. I'm not going there. I'm going to you first. And I'm not moving until I get an answer, until this situation gets fixed. I need mercy. I need grace. I've got a time of need. I'm in trouble. I'm going to come boldly to your throne right now. I'm not moving until I get my blessing. Because I know you've got something for me. See, grace compels us to walk away from our old way of living and live a life of truth and obedience. That's what grace will do for you, real grace. Romans 6 one says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because the scripture before that, the, the, the text is, where sin abounds, even more grace abounds. And people take that scripture out of context and say, well, God's got more grace than my sins. So I'll just keep on sinning because God's got more grace than my sins. Uh, no. Paul says, no. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, he says. We die to sin. How can we live it any longer? Paul goes on to say, in different books, not just in the book of Romans, he says in the book of Ephesians, he says, you die to that old life. You used to live that way, but that's not who you are anymore. You're not a slave to sin, you're a slave to Jesus. You submit to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now guides your life. If you're under the Spirit, you're under grace. If you're still operating and still living your old life of sin, you're operating in the law and you're in trouble. That's how it works. But grace opens up the door to mercy. Oh, that's the third word we need to interject into this whole scenario. Mercy. How many people are grateful for mercy today? Come on. Come on. You should be doing backwards flips, high fives, jumping jacks up and down, running around the room like they do in the old school. Come on now. Grace opens the door to mercy. They're connected yet different, and people often confuse. They get confused about the difference between mercy and grace. Do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Want me to tell you? I'm not going to tell you. You know why? Because I don't know if anyone has eloquently articulated the difference between mercy and grace than Dr. David Jeremiah has done in his book, Captured by Grace. It's a great book. You should read it. Here's some of the excerpts that David Jeremiah writes between the difference between mercy and grace. He said, mercy runs to forgive the prodigal son. Grace throws a party with every extravagance. Mercy bandages the wounds of the man beaten by the robbers. Grace covers the cost of his full recovery. Mercy hears the cry of the thief on the cross. Grace promises paradise that very day. Mercy pays the penalty for our sins on the cross. Grace substitutes the righteousness of Christ for our wickedness. 
Mercy converts Paul on the road to Damascus. Grace calls him to be an apostle. Mercy saves John Newton from a life of rebellion and sin. Grace makes him a pastor and author of a timeless hymn, Amazing Grace, which we sang some of tonight. You didn't know that was in the talk, did you? See it? You're killing me. Stop it now. God knew. Mercy closes the door to hell. Grace opens up the door to heaven. Mercy withholds from us what we deserve. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. That should do something to you. That should get you excited. So when you look at the life of Jesus, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see just grace? Do you see just mercy? Do you see just truth? Because for some reason, people camp out in those camps and they exclude the others. Some are just in the grace camp. Some are just in the truth camp. Some are just in the mercy camp. But he was full of it all in a great way. When Jesus said, I am truth, I am the truth, I am the way and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, let's break that down. He was making a statement that included all three important facts. He said, I am the truth. What is that? That's a truth statement. I am truth. You're looking for truth? I'm it. He said, I'm the way. That was a mercy statement made to those who have lost their way. He said, I am the life. That was a grace statement to give us life here on earth and in heaven, a life here on earth and in heaven that we don't deserve. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That was another truth statement. That's how you can break down an easy John statement about Jesus. See, truth statements like that are instructional statements given to us for the purpose of discipleship as well as salvation. They're non-negotiable, accept or reject them statements of truth that have withstood the test of time through every season, every culture, every society that has ever existed. This timeless truth of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, will, last, will outlast all of us. So which side of the fence are you on? Are you on the grace side? Are you on the mercy side? Are you on the truth side? Again, 2 Peter 3.17, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Can you see now how I'm building a case where you just can't separate truth from grace? Stay with me now. We're not done with the ride yet. We're just going up the thing. Jesus, I am the way. I am truth. Well, he's more than truth. When John opens up and starts writing the book of, the book of John in the first chapter, he starts out by saying this, and this is going to mess with you tonight. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Here's the mind blower. 
Here's the one that you need to wrap your, your mind around. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So when Jesus says, I am truth, I'm the way, he not only is the Word, he was the Word, the Word was with him, and the Word has always been him and with him in the beginning. At the end of the day, friends, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Some people look at this, look at this book and they study the book. I think it's John 5, 36, which says you diligently study the Scriptures because by them you think you have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me because all these Scriptures that you study point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. John goes on to say in verse 14, 16, and 17 uh, this about Jesus. The Word became flesh. The Word, listen, the Word, every page is like stroking the hair of Jesus. The Word, this is Jesus, the Word. It's a beautiful book with beautiful pages. It's not just a book of 66 books with a cover, with nice little strings. It's Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Here it is. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Not one more than the other. Not one that goes before the other. Full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You cannot separate truth from grace. You can't stay in one camp and exclude the other camp. You have to embrace 100% of every part of Jesus. To know grace is to know mercy. To know mercy is to know truth. To know truth is to know Jesus' grace and mercy. See, some people just follow a convenient Jesus. Mm. Some people just follow a gracious Jesus. Some people just follow a truthful Jesus. There's nothing wrong with each and every one of those Jesus. But Jesus is all of those and then some. You see, grace without truth is sentimentalism. It's a sentimental church. Truth without grace is legalism. That's hard. But grace and truth is the power of God that leads to salvation. This is important stuff. People say, what are you in recovery from? Bill, you want to know what I'm in recovery from? I'll tell you. I believe in this stuff because it's the word of God. And I teach the word of God because I love you too much not to give you grace and truth. And I don't know if you've heard of the term universalism. But universalism is the idea that God is such a God of grace and such a God of love that he's going to redeem everyone at some point in time. And it doesn't matter what you do, 
God will redeem you. A universalist doesn't believe that hell is eternal. They don't believe that, they, they, they might believe in hell, but if there is a hell, God's going to redeem you at some point. Because God's a God of love. So, in other words, there's no incentive to obey God. There's no incentive to fully submit to God. There's no incentive to fear God because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, of knowledge, of truth. To fear God is to love God. To fear God is to adore God. To fear God is to marvel at his creation. To fear God is to know that he holds your life in your hands. He holds creation in your hands. He decided thousands and thousands of years ago that there would be May Gray on this day raining in Santa Clarita. How awesome is that? That's God. That wasn't a front coming from the Pacific. God said, I'm just going to sprinkle a little bit on Santa Clarita today. That's all God. And the idea is that you can do anything that you want. God will redeem you at some point. Well, if that was the case, you make Jesus out to be a liar, and there's no need for the cross. There's no need for his blood that was shed. There's no need for what Jesus had to go through if that's the case. And all that means is that it basically is a cult. Because you, you basically defy all the basic teachings of salvation by disputing the teachings of Jesus. I have worked in places like that. I've worked in a church where all the pastors, not a single pastor that I spoke to on staff, believed that hell was eternal. That the idea was that universalism just accept Christ and just live for Jesus. At some point, it'll be okay for you. And there's a reason why I'm not there anymore. Disciples and kingdom representatives follow Jesus, his teachings, and live a life of grace, mercy, and truth. So where has grace landed you? How far are you willing to let grace take, mold, and shape you? How far are you willing to allow grace to take you? Here's how you can know how, how far grace has taken you, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a turn in left field here for just a second before we close. You see, if you've been captured by grace, if you've been transformed by that transforming truth, grace and truth, if Jesus has changed your life, you should be giving that grace away. You should turn from a grace recipient to a grace giver. When people see you, they, they need to know you as a person full of grace as well as a person full of truth. So ask yourself, here's how you can know if you're full of grace. Who do I dislike? Do I treat them differently? Am I critical of them? I'll throw the H word in there. Is there anyone that I hate? Someone burn you when you turn on the TV? Oh, 
I just hate that person. Look what 1 John 4 says. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, ouch, whom they have seen cannot love God, whom they have, have not seen. And he has given this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, I choose to be a grace baiter rather than a, a race baiter. I choose to love instead of hate. I choose to forgive and bless instead of resent and digress. I choose the freedom of forgiveness and move out of the bondage of bitterness. See, grace changes you to love others more. Grace changes you to love Jesus more. Grace changes you to love yourself more. Grace changes you to love God more. Grace changes you to be like Jesus more. Grace changes you to give like Jesus more. Grace changes you to think like Jesus more. Grace changes you to love truth more. Grace changes you to operate in kingdom authority more. Grace changes you to pray with faith and expectancy more. Grace changes you so you can bear good fruit more. And always remember this. God's looking for good fruit, not religious nuts. Okay, he wants you to have a good combination of grace and truth. Grace changes you so you can fight the good fight and run the race more. Grace changes you so you can be healed. Grace changes you so you can be set free. Grace changes you, Mandy, so you can worship in spirit and truth more. Grace changes you so you can walk in freedom, be victorious. Grace changes you so you can be saved. Grace changes you so you can live a regret-proof life. Grace changes you so you can change the world. Grace changes you so you can share the gospel. Grace changes you so you can share your story of grace more. Come on, worship team. Acts 20, 24, I'm going to close with this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The good news of God's grace. So where are you? In the grace camp. Are you in just grace? Just truth? Just mercy, Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. Jesus, the word, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father, no one except through me. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. If you're watching online, you've never accepted Christ, you've never acknowledged Jesus as the only way. To get to your Father. It's a lifelong problem. Trying to get to our Father. Have you ever noticed how you're always trying to run 
and you need the love of a father. There's only one person who can restore that heavenly relationship with your father. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I want to restore your biggest problem, and that's your relationship with your father, your father in heaven. I want to make sure that you get to see my dad, because my daddy's awesome. My daddy's great. But my daddy put me in charge of stuff. And I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And my life can be your life. My blessings, my inheritance. I died so that grace doesn't have to stop at salvation. I died and rose again so my grace can go beyond salvation. So my grace can sustain you, disciple you, and prepare you for an eternal life with me, my daddy, and all your friends and family that have made that decision as well too. Just bow your heads and say this prayer. Father, I have sinned against you and heaven, myself, my family, and I repent of those sins and turn from those sins. And I turn to you, Lord Jesus. And I trust you for the, forgiving, the forgiveness of my sins the free gift of eternal life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I accept you as grace and truth. And I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live this life full of grace, full of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.